Did someone su survive that fall? There was a big bang there. Um, hopefully everyone's alive and well there at the back of the church. Anything happens at the back, it's like a vortex where God could encounter you or something bad could happen. Anything happens there. Okay, you guys are not with that joke. It's okay. <clears throat> it's okay. I see you taking it personally at the back. It's all right. We love you as much as anybody. Um, but we are City Hope Church. Do you know what we're about? We're passionate about helping people to get and to carry and to bring the hope of Jesus Christ. But how are we going to actually manage that? One of the pivotal things is we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, something we just sang about. And we are doing the spiritual gift series, and I want to emphasize as I close it out today, if we're going to manage to bring the hope of Jesus to this city, then we have to be the mouthpieces of hope that God intended us to be. We must hear what God says, and we must be his mouthpieces, which brings us to the gift we're going to look at today, which is the gift of prophecy. Now, this spiritual gift of prophecy, I sense in our church, there's a lot of misunderstanding, the banging it's the Lord encountering us, the wind and the fire. Come on now. Um, what are we on about, V? Um, what am I talking about now? Oh, the gift of prophecy. I sense we're a bit, do you know I have ADHD, by the way, so it's bad for a preacher to lose their concentration like that. Um, the gift of prophecy, I feel we're a bit murky on that one. I feel like we need some clarity. I feel like if we knew better what the gift of prophecy is, our church would step up our game with this gift of prophecy. So that's my aim today, is to make things as clear as possible. If you're going on your Bibles or you're following on the screen behind me, 1 Corinthians 14 is the place we're going to refer to the most. And we're looking at verse 1. This is our key verse. It says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Notice the emphasis of Paul, especially as you prophesy. So if you are hopping into the series right now, my encouragement to you is check out the first sermons that came before in this series because a lot of caveats were given, a lot of explanations, and we can't revisit them today. But here we want to be crystal clear on this gift of prophecy. So I've got five simple headings to follow if you're taking notes and getting to heaven quicker. Firstly, what is the role of a prophet? Secondly, who can have the gift of prophecy, because those aren't the same. Thirdly, which prophecies are reliable. Fourthly, why is prophecy seemingly elevated above the other gifts? And five, how should we prophesy? So it's supposed to be very intuitive and easy. So let's get into this. What is the role of a prophet? Well, people can be confusing on the gift of prophecy, but it's actually very simple. It's much like a person who delivers mail. They don't own the mail, they don't write the mail, they don't edit the mail, they deliver the mail. As such, a prophet is a person who receives direct revelation from God and they speak that word to people. As simple as you could possibly imagine. Much different from the new age practice which is popular of prophesying life, speaking things into existence that aren't there. That's not prophecy. That's dangerous. That's something you should avoid. That's not a biblical deal. What prophecy is, is hearing what God does say, not what we wish, hearing what God does say and giving that message. Dead simple about what the prophet is. Now it says in Ephesians 4 verse 11 that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, 
for building up the body of Christ. So they call that the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and whoever I missed out. Pastors, yeah, I always forget them. I'm one of them. <clears throat> so um, the, the, that says that when those five are operating together, the church is all built up effectively. So you need all five, and the work of the prophet, or the office of the prophet, some like to say, needs to be in function. So what are the, the functions of a prophet? Well, three historically, the first one no longer exists, but a prophet would write the inerrant or perfect word of God. That is historically a role of the prophet. So 25% of your Bible is made up of prophets. They like to say cool things like, thus saith the Lord. You just want to imitate them in that one, don't you? But they say that in essentially saying, this is not my prophecy or my words. I'm just the mail delivery person, thus saith the Lord. Now, historically, they did this. They were unique individuals that God blessed. But this function of a prophet has actually ceased. Because the Bible is complete, the canon of Scripture is donezos, there will never be an addition, an amendment. Oh, no, wait. There's another book of the Bible we forgot about. It's not going to happen. God has completed Scripture. There will never be another prophet who operates in this function, nor will any other prophet be able to say anything that overrides anything in Scripture forevermore. So if you get to someone who says, I have a prophecy that supersedes what 1 Corinthians 14 said, because I'm a prophet from God, you tell them you're not a prophet from God because you can't override scripture. That has ceased. Secondly, and this one does actually operate today, prophets take God's timeless word and they apply it in a timely manner. Are you with that? Prophets have a ministry of taking God's timeless word and applying it in a timely manner. So for instance, there's no new revelation per se, but what they do is they take God's eternal revelation and they bring it to bear on right now in 2021 with our current crises, with our current situations. They take God's timeless word and they are able to apply it in this season right now for us as a people. Prophets have the discernment to be able to pick up how this translates to right now. And we are blessed when they do this. Thirdly, the role of a prophet is still is today that they can receive special revelation about the future. That still happens today. Um, in Isaiah 46, God says, I am God, there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient days, things not yet done. God knows the future. He's in control of the future. And sometimes he chooses to reveal the future to prophets. Why would he do that? Not for them to show off but in order that people prepare. The people of God must sometimes prepare for the purposes of God in an era. And so God chooses to reveal some things to prophets that the people of God might listen and might be in tune with what God wants. So those are three historical, the first one no longer exists, two that prophets do. Now, the traits of a prophet, you might have encountered one or you might actually have this bend, so listen out. Prophets more easily than other people in the church spot sin in the church and they want to see it rectified and they like to preach a message of repentance. They are bold people, but also sensitive people. Those two don't often go together and they place a high value on biblical behavior. Their motto is, this is what the Bible says, so do it. They think life is simple. God said it, so I obey. They don't see that there has to be any journey, just obey what God says. That's how prophets are. That's what prophets think. They are very troubled 
by people not obeying God's word immediately. They are impatient to see people line up with what God said because that's the way prophets are wired and God blessed them that way. So if they fall off the bandwagon, prophets in their execution, they never fall off the bandwagon of telling the truth. For that one, they always get an A+. They never fall short on pursuing justice. They just fall short on pursuing mercy. So you might even count yourself in that camp. We get an A-plus for truth, but my mom always said to me growing up, Jamesy, it's your tone of voice that's the problem. So if I'm lacking in something, it's probably not truth. It's probably grace and kindness and gentleness. This is where as prophets, we need to take our cue from Jesus. He was full of truth, but he was also full of grace. This is what the prophet is and what they're about. But for everything God does, the Satan makes a counterfeit of everything that God makes. So in his, under his ministry, he's got false prophets. False prophets are not the same thing as mistaken prophets. Everyone can make a mistake in prophecy. A false prophet is someone far more dangerous. A false prophet is a predator, a wolf in sheep's clothing, someone who has come into the church to steal people away from God. They are often charismatic, very persuasive, filled with spiritual gifts. So how do you spot them? I think, uh, who was it? Was it Mark Driscoll was brilliant on these. He, he had the three M's, identifying a false prophet. You look at the messenger, you look at the message, and you look at the motive. So firstly, you look at the messenger. Does this person prophesying bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Does this person actually authentically love Jesus? Do they have a good godly character? Or do we find, like we often do with false prophets, that actually far from that, they don't want to be a part of a local church in a serving manner. They just attend. They look down on the local church. Like Vaughn said in the preach meeting, you must be very suspicious of someone prophesying over you that is not under eldership authority. You have to put a question mark under that and be very careful about these individuals. False prophets see themselves too high to submit to any authority because they're super prophets. Okay, you enjoyed that, Nareen. I'm glad that you had a little laugh at my acting. Um, secondly, you can identify a false prophet from their message. Does their message contradict the Bible? If so, you just check it out. Next point. Point three, you look at their motive. Is their motive to attract attention to themselves? Because it's very good to use supernatural gifts to draw attention to yourself. When I say it's very good, it's good in their eyes to do that. They're looking for a crowd for themselves. It is extremely profitable in our day and age to be a false prophet. Because people like to have their own desires affirmed. False prophets will tell you what you want to hear. And that's why it's popular in 2021 to hear a message that Jesus died to make you rich. That there's no such thing as the devil. There's no such thing as hell. God doesn't have any wrath in him. Everyone goes to heaven. Because that's what everyone wants to hear. False prophets, they latch onto this kind of message because they're in it to line their own pockets full of cash, leveraging people's own desires of their heart against them. But we have a warning in scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 4, I think, 2 Timothy chapter 4, that says, for there is a time coming when people will no longer endure sound teaching. 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers on their podcasts and on their playlists that just suit their own passions. And then people will wander off into myths. Be very careful if nothing ever on your Christian podcast is ever challenging you or offending you. You might just be accumulating for yourself playlists that suit your own desires. But false prophets are the ones that are going to perpetuate this message because they are predators that are there to say, I have a new teaching because I'm a prophet. And they have a new teaching that overrides scripture and all that stuff that we believed before is out the window. We've moved on from that. And now they have this great teaching. Be careful of false teachers. If, their mess, if the messenger is questionable in their character, their message is questionable in their content, and their motives are questionable, you might just be dealing there with a false prophet. You should probably come speak to Vaughan or myself or Sai or one of the elders because it's our role to actually protect the church from such people. Okay, on that somber note, we have this abuse of the prophetic gift. Because the Satan doesn't want the prophetic gift to actually operate. The best way to insulate ourselves from the false prophecy is to us to actually have a good use of prophecy in our church. The best way to insulate against the abuse of the gift is the correct use of a gift. So as a people, we must be strong in prophecy so we can identify something that doesn't fit within the pattern of what we know is very sound. So that leads, that's the pro, uh, false prophets and prophets, but what about the gift of prophecy? That's point number two, who can have the gift of prophecy? The gift of prophecy, less intense than that office or that fivefold ministry of prophets, is simply hearing a message of God and delivering it to someone to build them up. Simple as pie, and who can do that? Anybody who has given their life to Jesus and is filled with the Holy Spirit can prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul uses the word all a lot. He says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. For you can all prophesy. Do you catch that? One by one so that you may all learn and all be encouraged. There's a big all deal to the prophetic gift. And also we remember that Lorelei preached in Joel 2 earlier this year that God said there will come a day when I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh is not skin, it's people. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and it talks about old men dreaming dreams and younger men seeing visions. And we're living in that era right now. Since Pentecost, God has poured out his spirit on all people. If you fall under the category of a son or a daughter of God, you can prophesy. That's just a biblical truth. That's just facts for you. You can prophesy. It doesn't matter whether you're old, young, male, female, class, irrelevant. If you are a child of God, you can prophesy. Hallelujah, amen. This is not specialist. This is the gift of prophecy open to all. Wonderful. So if God has done that, then it's a very open gift and we can get prophecy from a lot of sources. Which leads us to heading number three. Which prophecies are then reliable, you may ask? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is brilliant on this one. It says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test everything and hold on to what's good. So I don't know if you've received a false prophecy that's thrown you for a loop before. Some of us have. It sucks. But Paul says, in response to that, don't despise prophecy. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't make prophecy the enemy. It was just that you had a bad encounter there. On the other hand, Mensa, 
Don't just accept anything willy-nilly from any prophecy. Test everything. You notice the tension. Don't despise prophecy, but test everything. So how do you test? Three ways that I think you can test. Firstly, does it line up with Scripture? This prophecy that you have received. If someone says, I've got a prophetic word for you of encouragement, God says, I know you're sleeping around, but because you're so pressured from work, God says it's okay. Just sleep around a bit. He understands. That is not a prophecy from God. If it doesn't line up with scripture, you just say, chuck it out. You just throw it out. Secondly, uh, does it settle well with your spirit? Now, this is cool because Colossians 3.15 speaks of the Holy Spirit within us as an umpire to settle whether something's from God by virtue of peace or being ill at ease. So in the days or months after a prophecy, you feel very uneasy about what that person has said. It might just be that the Spirit of God is telling you this actually wasn't from me. Very important to weigh that in. A bit more subjective than number one. But if number one is true, if it's in line with Scripture, you go on to number two. Does it line up with my spirit? And if you feel uncomfortable, you're still welcome to chuck it out. But if you feel increasingly excited about it, like God is confirming the thing, it's still good to go on to test number three, which is, does the counsel of respected other people in church confirm this prophecy? It's brilliant when you get a prophetic word to go to wise other people and say, this is what I got, what do you think? What do you say? Not only because can they help discern that that's a prophetic word from God, but also when we go to wise counsel, we get wise advice about what to do with it. Often, we can make rash decisions. When we get dramatic prophecies, of which I've received a few, God would really have us go to wise people so that we make wise decisions. If God says he's calling you to, into an NGO, you don't quit your banking job tomorrow. You go to wise counsel and hear what they have to say. Wise counsel is really important. And um, you don't make the prophecy the center of your life. If you get a prophetic word, you store it in your heart the way that Mary did regarding Jesus, and you keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus and not the prophecy. We mustn't put it in its wrong place. You remember Simon and Taryn last week said that they received a word about this church of hope, but what did they do? They stored it in their heart and they kept their eyes fixed on Jesus and serving where they were. A brilliant example of how we should handle it. So you test fire, does it line up with scripture? Does it line up with my spirit? And does it line up with the counsel of respected others? So that is good. And then the heading I'm most excited about is why is prophecy elevated above the other gifts? When I say elevated, it's not better than other gifts because all the gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. But why does Paul say here, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Why does it hold a special place in the spiritual gifts realm? I wanna suggest two reasons to you, and there's probably more. The first one is that prophecy can build up the church like no other gift can. And that is so true. If you define prophecy according to scripture, verse three of chapter 14 says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, for their encouragement, and for their consolation. So let's dig into those three words quickly. The first thing a prophecy does is it builds up. This literally, if you go into the word study, is like building a construction. There's something about a prophecy that can put like brick and mortar of strength 
into your soul for the thing that God is, is, caught, is trying to build you up in. This is brilliant because it speaks to the whole mode of why do we come together on a Sunday? We don't come together on a Sunday in order for us to be built up. If that was the case, we would have a low threshold for when we're gonna quit on church because if I don't feel like it, I'm gonna get built up at another time. But what if the motive of church is that I am a saved one by Jesus and I'm there to build up other people? That is the motive biblically of why do we come together because I am a walking encouragement to other people. I'm there to build up other people. That is gonna get you out of bed in the morning and say, I'm never missing church. That's gonna get you to say, I have lots of work, but I'm going to city group. I can't miss it because there's people there and I can build them up. God can use me to build them up. Well, prophecy does this thing where it builds us up like no natural means can. If you get a prophetic word, it can sometimes establish you right there. Meryl Laurie is here, there just in front of the sound desk. One day I was preaching here and I didn't feel very much strong for this sermon that I was preaching. I didn't feel God was doing much with it, but discouraged. But then Meryl came to me after the sermon and she said, I saw from heaven a sword coming down as you were preaching and cutting lies off of people. And I felt so built up in the brick and mortar just coming into my soul and establishing me, but God is using this sermon. So keep going. I feel built up. A prophetic word can bypass how you're feeling and just build you up right there. The second thing a prophecy can do is encourage you or exhort you. The wording here is to incite, encourage, influence, or strongly urge us forward in our faith. This might be like an image or it might be a verse or whatever. But let's, I just used this verse earlier today. You might just pick out someone that you feel needs encouragement. And you might say, I just want to encourage you. God has brought to my mind Galatians 6, 9. Don't grow weary of doing good. I know you're feeling tired, but Galatians 6, 9 says, don't grow weary of doing good. For if you continue, you will reap in season. That is a prophetic legitimate word because you are bringing the correct word from God to bear on a person. But God often, and I find, supplements that with something else. He puts an image into your mind. For this gathering, I just get the image that God wants to, like we are rock climbers going up a rock face. He is giving us the exact parts of the rock to hold onto and he's putting strength within our fingers that the place where we lay our hand we will find grip to move up forward it doesn't take away the strain but he's putting like super holy spirit fueled energy into our bodies as we're seemingly climbing up a vertical rock face to make it up impossible roots i don't know what impossible wall you're facing but god wants to encourage you today galatians 6 9 don't grow weary of doing good because god promised if you continue that he will you will reap in that season now that was, just a, that was just me demonstrating, but that could have hit home in your heart. That could have been a prophetic word for you. And that is how this exhortation works. Sometimes we need to be built up, but sometimes we're lagging behind and feeling really tired, but an, a prophetic word of encouragement can spur us on to where we need to be. And the third thing a prophetic word can do is consolation. Fancy word, basically meaning to comfort. Now, uh, we all know intellectually, hopefully, that God really cares for where each and every one of us are at. But unfortunately, sometimes we just know it in our head and it doesn't come down to our hearts. But there's something about a prophetic word that can bypass that and build us up in the depths of our spirit and we feel patched up by God's hands. My mom is brilliant with this because my mom has a gift of mercy to patch up the broken but she also has a prophetic strength. And so sometimes when she's counseling people, 
there's just a wall there. And she gets a prophetic word that bypasses all the natural walls and just binds someone up in their brokenness. And they just sob. And all that was broken comes out and there's healing. There's something about a prophetic word that can console people despite everything. And so that's like if we, if we need to be built up for a race, prophecy does that. If we're falling behind in the race, we can be encouraged. Prophecy does that. If we fall down and we get injured, we can be consoled. Prophecy does that. It doesn't matter where you are with your run that God is calling you to. Prophecy is going to build up. In fact, there's no other gift that is quite as amazing at building up the church as prophecy. That's why we need to be a prophetic people. That's why the base of prophecy in this church needs to rise. Everyone has different strengths of prophecy, but whatever God has given us, we have to activate it. We have to use it because there was a time in the Old Testament when only certain people were prophets, when only certain people had the Spirit of God resting on them for a certain time, and then God left them. But now we are filled with the Holy Spirit, with our inner being, and we are capable of prophesying and building up the church, and so we must. It's like three boats. I used this analogy in the eight, and it worked, so here we go. It's the boat of encouragement, the boat of... Um, building up in the boat of consolation that has to be in our church. And the way that we get them in the church is we need the tide of prophecy to rise so that the three boats can stand where they need to be. So we can be the city on the hill, the one that declares hope to the city, the one that builds up the people, the one that consoles the people, that encourages the people. Prophecy is dead necessary for us as a church. We have to be a prophetic people. And I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to the person next to you because you feel you're disqualified. We all need to use this gift. Small groups are the best. In small groups, you just pray for someone. You know, someone's going to go through a rough time and then someone just brings a prophetic word. I just want to encourage you in God. God showed me that you're like this. And we just lift them up. We've got to build up our base of prophecy. We're a base church. We need to be a, have a strong base of prophecy in our church. There's no gift like prophecy. Secondly, I think Paul emphasizes this deal because prophecy actually is catalytic for other gifts. It activates or imparts other giftings in the church. First uh, Timothy 4, it says, do not neglect the gift which you have. How did Tim have this gift? Well, it was given to him by prophecy when the council of elders laid hands upon him. Something happened in that moment when the prophecy came to Tim that there was an impartation of a gift and Tim led that church in Ephesus. It was pumping and it all happened because of one prophecy. It was the one thing that started it. I didn't say this at the eight, but let's just go with it. You know that there was a prophecy that came to Barnabas and to Saul that they should rise up and that they should go to the nations. And then Saul became Paul and then Paul changed the whole world and his, his missionary journey went all the way to Rome. And what started the chain reaction? One prophecy. One prophecy changed the world. One prophecy advanced the gospel. One prophecy made this guy a church leader. Prophecy is catalytic to impart gifts to people. So if you want to be a church, and we do, that is pumping in spiritual gifts, that is just filled with the Holy Spirit, we must have the base of prophecy strong because all the other gifts flourish from that point. In fact, you need prophecy hearing from God for most of the gifts anyway. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, miracles, healing. You need to hear from God in order for that to happen. So brothers and sisters, we must take seriously our mantle that we all can prophesy and we all must prophesy if we want God to do what we're saying he can do, that he, we're gonna bring, we're gonna carry, we're gonna whatever. We're gonna help people get and bring and carry. The, oh yeah, yeah, I still got it wrong. <clears throat> you, you get my point though. Um, prophecy is critical. We must pursue prophecy especially. 
modern OER Mensa. Then we get into the nitty gritties, the practicals. How then should we prophesy? And this is where a lot of damage is done, so let's, let's make sure we're good on this one. Uh, we should prophesy in every, in every situation, um, but I want to start out with gatherings because it's really important for you guys to log that Ephesians 4 said that when the whole body contributes, then we are all built up to the stature of Christ. Do you know what that means? That we need body contributions. What we don't need is just staff and band, paid professionals up here, just leading a gathering. We need you as the body to contribute. This is not a spectator sport. This is church. We are the church. You are the church. So we need you guys to be engaged and to lean in. And I want to talk about how you can do prophetic contributions in our church. So in gatherings, Paul actually gets blatantly pragmatic and obvious here. He says in verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. You notice the word let in there? It implies that there's some leadership oversight over prophetic words. Very important because we have a people across the spectrum of faith here. Probably, I don't know. And us guys who at the front here, we need to hear a prophetic word and weigh what is helpful for the whole church to hear. Let two or three prophets speak. Also, I didn't say this at the eight, but we noticed the word two or three. Some people would be happy with just like a, a day of prophecy and we have like 14, 15 prophecies and we just bounce around from one to the other. Paul says no, because we can't just bounce around 180 degrees the whole time. There's some parts of church life that he understands must be in there. The preaching of God's word, the worshiping of God's name, important. So he puts godly limits on the stuff. He says, let two or three prophets speak. So we often have, when we weigh, we've got Simon like most of the time, if not V, myself, Dunks or whatever. We weigh, we've got the mic behind us here. And if someone brings a prophetic word, we listen and we might give them some tweaks. We might say, listen, that's brilliant. Why don't you just wait till after the next song? People's eyes just seem focused on Jesus right now. Let's just let that play out and then bring the prophetic word. We might say something along the lines of, listen, that prophecy is great. Why don't you just hit it from this point? Uh, just come in here because that is the meat of your prophecy. Why don't you skip the intro, bring that. I think it'll be powerful. Or we might say that prophetic word is so helpful for the church. Why don't you end it with a prayer? I feel like with a prayer, It'll just be brilliant. That's our ministries. We have to make sure that we weigh what's being said and that it's helpful for everybody. So that is something we often do, but our heart is not to stifle prophecy. I promise you, our heart is not that. Our heart is to steward prophecy so that it does the maximum impact. I want to see prophecy flowing in this church as much as anyone in this leadership team. We would love it. And so how do you actually bring those contributions? I wanted to mention, if we got our training wheels on of bringing a prophetic contribution, I want to mention three kind of genres, for lack of a better word, of prophetic contributions that you could bring. The first one is just to bring a sense. Sometimes God gives you a sense of what he wants to do in a gathering. He gives you a sense that he wants to restore, or he gives you a sense that God wants to redirect our eyes to Jesus, or he gives you a sense that we must pray about our country. Whatever that kind of thing is, if you get a sense, my request to you is come tell us at the front here. We might not actually put you up on the stage for that kind of a thing, but it's really important for us to know what the Holy Spirit wants to do right now because we want to be in line with what God is doing right now. We're not just hung up on, our, on the scripting of how gatherings have to be. We are open that God must lead when we come together. 
And so it's really important if you get a sense of what God is doing that you share it with us. We want to steward that. Um, second one that you might get, I'm calling it a prophetic worship booster. And this is one of those where as we're worshiping, there's a line that just sticks out to you that you feel God is moving in that line. And you come up here just for a burst of 20, 30 seconds and you say, listen, that line that we sang, I just want to say that word is 100% true. Only God can do that. He's worthy of all praise. Let's lift up our hands. Let's lift up our voices because God is moving in this line. Let's jump onto that and then that's it. It's just a little booster that we might bring up between songs that it's prophetic in the sense that you are latching onto the specific word in that song that God is pleased with that day. And you just come and you just exhort us and just raise the roof of our worship. So we're not just like, you are worthy. But we just come out with like our roaring passion that God is worthy to be praised. But sometimes in our heart, we don't feel like that's true because our mind is wondering, and we're thinking about the garden needs to be watered. I need to put the food in the oven. But sometimes a prophetic word can just grip our hearts in our spirit. And we feel, Whoa, God has arrested my attention now. We need that in our church so that people's worship can be of the uttermost level of excellence. And then thirdly, a word of knowledge. This is also important. Remember, V's preach on this one. Specific knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives you that you couldn't know otherwise. You might just get a, a word of knowledge that God wants to heal someone's arm, for lack of a, a better example. Come and tell us at the front. Eh? That might not be the one that we bring up after song two. That's a deal of ministry that we might leave for the end. Bring up the prophetic word. I feel there's some, then the person comes and says, there's someone here whose arm needs to be healed. Is that anyone? And we go into a moment of prayer. That would be brilliant. We need those words of knowledge, specific information about what God wants to do right now. Brilliant. Those are just three if we've got our training wheels on. You can also give a word for a season or for our church as well. We'll allow those. But these are just three to get you started. So it's really important for you guys and for us that church has to be about contributions from the body, not just from the stage. I hope you guys hear our heart on why that's important to God. And that's why we want to get behind that. Then I just wanted to end it off with the really practical stuff. Really, how do we prophesy? How should we do it? Well, let's talk about these one-on-ones. I've got six don'ts and eight do's, but they're going quick. Don't worry. Your, your, your plants will get watered. You will get the chow in the oven. It's all right. Um, first don't um, is don't give words about relationships, engagement, breakups, or pregnancy. This one's always a problem, Mensa. This causes big trauma and tears. Eh? This is a problem. The second one is avoid giving words about specific career moves or stock investments. That stuff is bad news. Just dodge that. Thirdly, never call out someone's sin in public. Do you know that goes against the very ethos of Jesus that does? Um, when a prophet comes and says, I have, a pro I have a word for you that you're struggling with pornography. No. If God revealed that to you, you should go talk to them one-on-one -on -one or pray about it. Definitely. Do not bring that out in public. Fourthly, be careful of giving time frames or calendar dates. Man, if we're super good at prophecy, maybe there are some that can go into that, but I'm saying... That's a dangerous one. Just don't go there. Fifthly, don't say, thus saith the Lord, as your intro. 
Thus saith the Lord, Simon, and it's not your prophecy. It's not helpful. Best to say, I sense God is saying X. That's how we, ca- how we bring prophecy. It's much less strong. And sixthly, don't be discouraged to make a mistake in the prophetic. If your heart is to build up and encourage the church, even when you fall short and the prophecy is not quite accurate, it's okay. We can grow in this area. I want to say, if you're not part of a small group, you should be a part of a small group. And if you are in a small group, I want to say it's the best place to make mistakes about prophecy. It's the best place where we can grow and we can find out how we get stronger in this gift. It happens by trial and error. And when we obey God's voice, we grow in the gift. It's okay to make mistakes. It's all fine. It's all part of it. Then some do's. Do ask God when you get a prophecy, is this for prayer or is this for sharing? Because not everything God gives to you is for sharing. Remember, Mary stored those things in her heart concerning Jesus. Remember, I remember my mom, she got a prophecy when I was still an atheist and I was, I was a, a handful. I was a serious handful. And my mom got this prophetic word as she was fasting and praying, don't worry about James, he's going to be working for me one day. Um, that is not a prophecy she should have shared with me. If she did, I don't know what I would have done to the house or I would have like hid her wheelchair on the roof or flip nose. Um, it wouldn't have gone down well. That was for my mom to know in her heart, don't worry about James. Sometimes prophetic words are for you to just know something or sometimes it's to pray into um, and sometimes it is for sharing, of course. Secondly, be respectful of other people's wishes. Don't barge in and prophesy over someone until you know if they're comfortable with it. Don't just come and say, I've got a prophetic word for you. Um, God says you're like these sneakers that you're going to go for. No, just relax and ask the person, listen, are you comfortable if I give you a prophetic encouragement? And just find out where they're at with this. Some people are burnt by this stuff. So we just need to approach with a bit more caution. Fourthly, where are we at? Oh, thirdly, prophesy according to your level of faith. It says in Romans chapter 12, that if we prophesy, we prophesy in accordance with our faith. This is very liberating mensa. It means we don't have to compare our prophetic capacity to another person. And we don't have to push it. We don't have to force it. We just prophesy according to how we feel comfortable God has given us a word. That's about it. It's very liberating for me to know I just need to prophesy according to my faith. Does that make sense? Okay. The next one is, fourthly, just speak what God gave to you. If God gave you a vision and an interpretation, give the vision and the interpretation, not and pastoral steps to follow. If someone gave you this, you're a mail delivery person. You just give this. That's really important. A lot of misunderstanding with prophecy is because prophets have a heart to help the whole person. And so they go beyond what God gave to them. Very related to this is the next point. We leave the results up to God. When we prophesy, we're just a delivery person. The results are between that person and God. One, one time I got a heavy warning from someone, a prophetic warning, and they never asked me about it ever again. They were here at the ATM gathering. They never probed about it. They left the results up to God. You know how I appreciated that? Because it was such a piercing word, but they left it. And I don't even think they remember, to be honest with you. That was very cool, and we take that on board. Then sixthly, we encourage the recipients to actually test the prophecy. You know Marge, who's often at the front at the eight, 
She's brilliant with this one. She says, James, I've got a prophecy for you, but just sift it with God. See if it's from him. We should be like that with our prophetic words. And then eighthly, and this is the most important thing about how we do prophecy, and it's the most important thing about spiritual gifts, is that love is the motive. Can I say it again? With all spiritual gifts, with all ministry, love is the motive. That's the most important principle I could possibly say here and teach. It says here in, in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith to move mountains, but I have not love, then I'm nothing. Really important for us to get a hold of this because what's really gonna change the world is not gonna be gifts, it's gonna be love. Really important for us to get a hold of the fact that yes, we must pursue spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters. It's really important. But we must expend thrice as much energy pursuing God's gracious, kind love for us. That's the kind of people that actually can be gifted with much and entrusted with much in God's kingdom. Those that are capable are those that have love. You know that love is the highest miracle possible. When we take a look at Jesus, Lord, just tell the band to, to get up on stage just so we can, we can have some song here. But I just think it's really important, oh, on cue. <clears throat> I just think it's really important for us to pause on this and, and, and log that Jesus is best described by his love even more so than his power. Because when Jesus came to earth, he relinquished a lot of his powerful rights because he loved you. And he came born just a person who works with wood or stone in a nowhere town of Nazareth, washed, washed feet because he loved you and he stooped down. The Christian faith is less about love, is less about gifts than it is about grace. It's less about power than it is about love. And Jesus exemplified that to the nth degree. When he went to the cross and there he lost the love of his one and only father. I don't know if you've lost a loved one recently. A lot of us have had the searing pain during this corona era of losing a loved one. And I don't wanna diminish that, but I just wanna say the loss that Jesus must have felt losing the father that he knew eternally when he got forsaken on the cross is worse than anything that we can ever face. And God, Jesus lost the love of his father because he wanted to gain you, because he loves you. It's really important for us that we grab a hold of the love of Jesus and that we come back to the love of Jesus. Because all the doing without love, we're just a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. We're nothing, guys. But with the love of Jesus alone, with nothing added on top, just the love of Jesus, we're perfect in God's eyes, perfectly aligned with God's heart, perfectly capable of being gifted to change the world. So what we really need is a love that is on earth as it is in heaven. But in order for us to get that in our heart, we have to see Jesus who left heaven to come to earth. And so in a moment, we're gonna have a song which is about the fact that God must, God's love must change us. God's love must change us into vessels that are worthy 
to carry the gifts and the purposes which he's called us to. And I just want us to have this moment of reflection before we have communion of the deep, tender love of Jesus for us. The most basic thing possible, the best way to end this series. I'm gonna ask you guys, just stay seated for this first verse and for this first chorus of the song. Let these words wash over you and plead with God, make me a vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. Let's let that happen and then we're gonna share in communion together.